blessing that is. You all can be seated uh, as we have uh, one more song. And we'll sing uh, Blessed Redeemer. The lyrics will be on the screen so you guys can follow along with that and sing along um, with, with this next song. <laughs> Oh, 
Amen. Like the song says, how can my praises ever find the end when I think about my Redeemer, uh, that Jesus died for me? What a great blessing that is. Let's go ahead and take uh, a few minutes of fellowship uh, before we get to the sermon today.
All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, and today we're going to look at verses 31 to 35. And I want to ask a question this morning, and I think it's a question that is it's something that we all need an answer to. Uh, the question is, how far can Christians fall? How low can Christians go? And I think that's a question that every single one of us need to have answered. I, I think it's uh, something that um, we all think about sometimes, just how low can we go? How far can we fall? And I'm going to answer that question today, and I think that it's a uh, good lesson for every single one of us, because it's going to show us today how weak every single one of us are, that we all will fall in some way. We all will fail in some way. But it also, on the other end, shows us how strong our Savior is. So we get to see how weak we are, which we, we should understand that. And we get to see how strong our Savior is. So these are two very important lessons for us to learn today as we ask that question, how far can Christians fall? So let's stand together. I'm going to read these verses to you. Matthew 26, we're going to read through verse 31 to 35 this morning. And we're going to answer that question, how far can a Christian fall? Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. It says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice, three times. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said every single one of the disciples right along with him. And we're going to look at this today and ask that question. I'm not just going to ask it. I don't think we should ask questions. I think we should answer questions. How far can a Christian fall? Let's pray together and we'll study this. Father, we thank you for passages like this. This passage to me has taught me some things this week. This passage to me has been a great encouragement this week. And God, I, I, I desire with all of my heart, to get that across to the people in the pews today. That they would be greatly encouraged by this passage. That they would see just how weak they are and how strong you are. So God, please teach us these things. And I pray that you, by your word and through your spirit, would do a great work in our hearts today. We love you. We love your word. Help us to submit to it today. Help us to learn it today. Help us to love it today. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's an old saying, and I couldn't find who said it. It had several names on it. I couldn't find a consensus on who actually said it, so I'm not going to give you a person. The old saying says, the best of men are only men at their very best. I'm going to say that again. The best of men are still only men at their very best. Which is to say that the best of any of us are still sinful and fallen men. It's the truth. Even our heroes are just men. Even the ones we look up to in, in the Bible or preachers that you see, the best Christians that you know are still just fallen, sinful men and women. And it goes especially for all of the, the people in the Bible. I'm going to give you a list of, of some of our heroes of the faith in the Bible. Men like Noah who got drunk and ended up naked. He was a sinful and fallen man, just like anybody else. Abraham lied about his wife over and over and over. We love Abraham, but he was a sinner just like every single one of us. Moses lost his temper and actually killed somebody. 
A sinful fallen man just like the rest of us. David was an adulterer looking out of his window at Bathsheba bathing on her roof and ended up committing adultery with her and even killing her, her husband. And he went pretty, pretty low. That's about as low as somebody can get. Uh, a great man, an honorable man, but a sinful and fallen man just like the rest of us. Samson. I mean, I, I could go down the list. I didn't even put them on here. I just put women problems for Samson. And that's what he had. He had women problems. He couldn't turn them down. Anything they asked him to do, he would do it. He had women problems. He was stronger than anybody maybe who ever lived. We look up to him. We, 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 he's a hero of the faith and, and a sinful fallen man just like the rest of us. Solomon. I, I could put under him too women problems. He had more wives and concubines than I could even count. We talk about the greatness of Solomon but still just a sinful and fallen man. You go to the New Testament, it's the same. The Galatian church was a, a great church and they turned into legalists. The Corinthians was a, uh, had a great start, but they turned into a, a, carnful and sin, and a carnal and sinful church. The, the Ephesians lost their first love. Laodicea got so lukewarm that Jesus said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. These great churches that, were, that we would look up to. And they were just full of sinful and carnal people just like you and me. Go through church history and they'll tell the, the same story. I, I love to, to read quotes to you about Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards and, and John Calvin and, and Charles Spurgeon and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and George Whitfield. And we could just go on and on and on. But if you dig deep into their lives, they're, they're just sinful, fallen men just like you and me. And sitting in here today, you may look up to somebody and you may look up to a, a mother or a father or a preacher or anybody else. But guess what? Sinful, fallen men just like everybody else. The best of men are still just men. They weren't all saints, not before they were saved, and not after they're saved. An old quote says, Patriarchs, prophets, and apostles, martyrs, fathers, reformers, and Puritans, every single one of them are all sinners who needed a Savior just like us. They may be honorable, they may be useful, but they're sinners after all. And I think that's, What's what we're seeing here in, in Matthew 26? It couldn't be made any more clear than what we see from Peter in this passage. As we look at this, we know who Peter is. And I, I want you to, to pay attention to it. This is really a, a section about Peter. We know he's as close as anybody could ever get to Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, Peter went. He's always right behind him, following him everywhere, sitting on his, on his right, right there all the time. He's the most outspoken, always bold. I mean, this, this guy, I love Peter. He appears to be the strongest of all the disciples. He was the highest that any disciple could be. And he had the farthest to fall. His faith was weak. Just like all of ours. So we see ourselves in this. If somebody like Peter can fall as far as, far as he did, then what does that say about us? Then every single one of us, if Peter can do this, and he was so high, so strong, if he can do it, then any of us can do what Peter did. We need to see that, that Peter wasn't strong in and of himself. He was weak. His faith was weak. And all faith is weak. And we must rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the, the whole passage is about. We are weak, but Jesus is so strong. We need to see that today. Jesus stands out so bright in this passage. I want you to walk out amazed at how much He loves us and how strong He is for us. Maybe we will look down on ourselves. We will all fall. We can fall a long way, but Jesus will never let us fall all the way. Amen. Let me say that again. Every single one of us can fall, and we will. 
but Jesus will not let us fall all the way. So let's look at this passage today and answer that question. How far can a Christian fall? I'm going to break it down. This is a small little section here into three points. I'm going to show you, first of all, I'm just going to give you a word for each point. I'm going to give you the prediction. Jesus here makes a prediction in verse 31. He says, and we see in verse 30, that they've been in the upper room. We're following Jesus to the cross, and, and there's trouble everywhere that he turns. We're following his footsteps. He's hours away from the cross. The meal ended. They're coming down out of the upper room. Verse 30, it says when they sung a hymn. Maybe the greatest hymn singing that's ever been. Those Jesus and the 11 disciples in the upper room singing probably Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 up there singing as loud as they can. I mean, I can imagine the booming voices of those men singing hymns in the upper room. And they walk out of the upper room. The meal is over. They sang their hymns. And it says now they head to the Mount of Olives. They walk down the steps. They head to the mountain. And it's midnight. Nobody on the streets. And Jesus begins to talk with them all along the way. This is the picture I have in my mind of walking down the steps, pitch black, midnight, hours away from the cross, and he's walking towards the mountain, actually towards the garden where he will uh, go and, and pray and, and there'll be great drops of blood. As they're walking, I think some of the best lessons you can ever learn is just walking through life together and talking to one another. Getting in a car and driving to Johnson City with your two boys like I did yesterday and just having life lessons, talking to one another. And Jesus is walking with these 11 disciples. Judas is off at that moment betraying him. And they begin to walk. And they begin to talk. And Jesus looks at them and says this. All of you will be offended because of me tonight. Every single one of you, all 11 of you, will be offended because of me before the night's over with. That's a huge statement. And that's one of those things where, where it's, 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 uh, they're going to say, wow, I mean, what is this? I mean, we're just walking towards the, the garden. We're going towards the mountain and you're going to drop this bomb on us that every single one of us, nobody is going to be left out. All 11 of you will be scattered and, and offended and, and ashamed of me before the night's over with. So what does it mean that they're going to be offended. What does that, that word mean? Let me say right, right at the outset that it does not mean that they will fall away from salvation. That is, that is not what the Bible teaches. It's impossible. The Bible is clear that there's no way that one who has true faith in Jesus Christ will ever fall away from their salvation. What does this mean then? What does is, what is to be offended mean? It, it's a word that means scandalized or to be ashamed of. Well, let's read it that way. All of you shall be ashamed of me. That, that's the word, ashamed. Of me, of Jesus. That that night, and we know this, that night it will become so dangerous to be associated with Jesus. It will become so dangerous to be shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. It will be so dangerous to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That you'll be ashamed of me. It will get so hot, the price will be so high, it will be so scary and so life-threatening that in a moment, all 11 of them will be ashamed to be associated with Jesus. We don't know this man. They know that if they, in moments, that if they follow Jesus, that the crowd will do to them what they're going to do to Him. So they become, in that moment, ashamed. In that moment, disloyal. In that moment, offended. In that moment, their faith will 
falter. These 11, that's what he's saying, you, all of you, you see that? Every, every last one of you. These are the strongest believers. These are the guys who left their nets and, and followed Jesus. These are the guys who walked with Him for three years. These are the truest, the best, and the most devout in the entire world. These are as faithful as any man could have ever been. And Jesus looks at them and says, All of you who's been so faithful, so devout, been there every day, all of you will be ashamed of me before the night's over with. What does that say about us? If they can be weak, we can be weak. If these strong, true, devout believers can be unfaithful, then we can be unfaithful. None of us can say, not me. Every single one of us will have times of weakness. We have to fight it, but you have to expect, expect it. There will be times when we're ashamed. There will be times when we're offended. There will be times when it will be a scandal to follow Jesus. There will be times when we get made fun of for following Jesus. There will be a time when we, when we back down. There will be times when we back off. There will be times when we will do just like those 11. Every one of us has and every one of us will at some moment be ashamed of Jesus. We've got to expect it. It could be in our sharing. <laughs> Let me just give you some way. You say, how is that possible? It could be in our sharing. When the door is open for us to share Christ with someone, I'm not saying you have to be Billy Graham, but I am saying that you need to be unashamed. And the door is opened, and, and it's like God is, is opening a door in that moment where you can enter into the conversation and you can tell a coworker or somebody at school or a, a teammate or somebody at a gas station, and, and it's like He just opens the door and it's like, here it is, tell them about Jesus. And there, there, there's your chance. And instead of speaking up, you or silent. At that moment, you're offended, ashamed. It could be in our sin. When you choose sin and a sinful lifestyle over the, the life we should live for Christ, we're ashamed of Christ. It could be in our silence, and I think this is even more important in our day now than it's ever been. That there's a time now for us to speak up. Jesus is under attack more today than He has been in any of our lifetimes. People say more negative, false things about Jesus than they ever have. And if we are going to be silent in this day as they are saying things about Jesus, what does that say about us but that we are ashamed of Him? Or when the truth is attacked, and the truth is being attacked everywhere we turn, whether it's on TV, social media, even in some churches, the truth is under attack in our culture, and we must not be silent. When the truth is under attack. And when we are, we're afraid to lose our jobs or popularity or friends or be laughed at. We're ashamed of Jesus. John Calvin said a dog barks when his master's attacked. He said, I would be a coward if I saw the truth of God attacked and remain silent. It's under attack in our world. And when we're silent, we're ashamed. They are trying their best to silence us today. Understand that. And many of us, me included, have cowered down and become cowards when our master is under attack because we're afraid that what they did to him, they'll do to us. 
We are just as weak as these 11 disciples. I have failed in a lot of ways. I don't want to sit here and point fingers at you guys and say, you failed, you're silent, you're ashamed. I sit and thought about this week and I thought, how many times have I failed to speak up when my master was under attack? How many times have I been ashamed to share the gospel? How many times when the door is open, whether I, again, I'm at a gas station or I'm in the, in the weight room or I'm, I'm around friends and, and we're all laughing and having a good time and the door is open for me to say something and I walk away and I say, how could I have been so silent? I should have spoke up. We've all failed in this way. Every single one of us are no better than these disciples. So Jesus says here, this is going to happen. But then he turns it around in this prediction and he says, you're going to fail me. You're going to be ashamed of me, but watch this. I, I love it. He says, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, again, I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. He says it. For it's written, he quotes Zechariah 13. I will smite the shepherd. That's what the passage says. I will strike down. I will hit the, the shepherd Again, that, that's not talking about uh, Pilate or the Romans or the Jews. God the Father will smite His Son, strike the Son, crucify the Son, and all of His followers will be scattered. They'll go everywhere. Look at verse 56. End of the chapter. We'll get there in a couple months. It says, All this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook Him and they fled. They scattered Exactly as he said it would happen. And then in verse 32, he adds the encouragement. This is going to happen. I'm going to get struck. I'm going to get crucified. But here's the encouragement. Here's the good news. Here's what I think the disciples missed here. There will be a resurrection. After I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. There's going to be a resurrection. He's going to come back again. And then He's going to lead them into Galilee. He's going to restore them. He's going to gather them together again. You you, you with me on that? There's There's going to be a great scattering at His death. And then He's going to be resurrected. And every one of them will be restored. And He'll lead them again. He's not going to let them stay scattered. He's going to bring them back. That after a great failure, He's going to forgive them and bring them back. That's what He says here. And that's exactly what happens. I, I, you don't have to look at, but Matthew 28, 7 says this. And as, as they went, this is after the resurrection. Verse 7. And he says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him just as I have told you. Exactly as he said it would happen. So let me transition out of this point on the prediction here. Jesus knows exactly, detail for detail, what's going to happen in the next few hours. He's not ignorant of these things. He knows everything. He knows Judas is going to betray Him. He knows the disciples are going to desert Him. He knows the cross. He knows the resurrection. He knows what's going to happen as He goes into Galilee. None of this happened without Him knowing full well what's about to happen. He knows it all. Moments ahead, hours ahead, days ahead. He knows everything that's happening as He goes to the cross. And He still goes. But let me tell you what else He knows. He knows how weak His disciples are. He knows their faith is weak. He knows they're susceptible to sin. He knows they're prone to wonder. He knows the very worst about them. 
And he still loved them, chose them, and walked his way to the cross to die for them. The one who knows the most about us is the one who loves us the most. That's an amazing thing. He knows everything about us. Do you get that? There's things that you can hide from everybody else. You can't hide it from him. And he knows all those things. You know why we hide things from people? Because we're scared to death that if they know who we really are, they won't love us anymore. Jesus knows everything about us. He knows all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our inactions. He knows how many times I've been ashamed of him. He knows how many times I didn't speak up for him. He knows how many times I've been a coward. He knows that my my prayer life isn't near what it ought to be. He knows that I, I don't do my devotions like I ought to. He knows all my sins that I confess over and over and over and over. And I say, I won't do it again. And then I do it again the next day. I say, today I won't do it again. He knows all those things. And he still loves me, chose me, and died on a cross for me. He knows the worst about me yet he loves me the most that is an amazing thing he loves messed up people like me he loves failures like me he loves men who have faith that is faltering like me he loves weak people like me Jesus knows me and Jesus loves me that's great truth he knows me better than I know me he knows you better than you know you He knew the disciples better than the disciples knew themselves. And I can prove it. Let me show you the next one. If that's the prediction, let me now show you the protest. Because just like old Peter, what we love the most about him is often what gets him in the most trouble. His greatest strength becomes his greatest weakness. Look what it says. This is the protest. Peter says, and don't be Peter here. This is, this is how not to respond. He says, Peter answered, said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. You see what he does? First thing he does that's wrong is he corrects Jesus. Never correct Jesus. That's just a, you can write that down. That's just a, a duh moment. You never should. Jesus said, I'll tell you. The scriptures tell you this is going to happen. And Peter looks at him and says, uh-uh. No, that's not how it's going to happen. And we do that to the Bible a lot. We'll read what it says. It's very clear. And we're like, uh-uh. No, no, no. Never correct Jesus. He starts by correcting him. He says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. And then he looks down on others. Look what he says. Everybody else will. Can you imagine that conversation? Jesus says, all 11 of you is going to be offended of me and you're going to be ashamed of me. And Peter says, not me. These other guys, <laughs> I guarantee you they will. They're as weak as they can be. I've seen them. I know them. They're, they're all like, what in the world? You should see what they do, Jesus. <laughs> they're so bad. But not me. He condemns them and is confident in himself. Maybe what you said as I was preaching that first point. I know some people who's ashamed of Jesus. I know some people who have failed Jesus, but not me. That's Peter. I'll never do it. We sing that song, though none go with you, still I will follow. How we on the way if nobody else does? <laughs> it may get bad in America and everybody may fall away, but I know one guy who won't fall away, this guy. That's what Peter's saying here. And the emphasis on it is on I. 
Peter said, though, though all men, and it's not just the eleven, everybody in the world shall be offended of thee, yet will I never be offended. And he's way too confident in himself. Peter didn't know Peter. You know what Peter's problem was? Peter didn't know himself. Peter didn't know his own weakness. He didn't know his own heart. He overestimated how strong he was. And when you overestimate how strong you are, you're in a dangerous place. I'll never fall. I'll never fail. That won't be me. Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he's the one who falls. Let me give you a quote. Robert Murray McShane said this, The seed of every sin known to man resides in my own heart. That's a guy who knew himself. That in my heart, there is a capability for me to do as bad as any man in the world. He died at 28 years old and he knew himself better than most of us do. We need to know our own weakness. You are in danger when you don't know the depths of your own depravity. You're in danger when you don't know how susceptible you are to sin. You are in danger when you don't realize I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to be ashamed. I'm, I'm prone to the, to the same sins that I condemn in everybody else. And I look around and I say, look what they're doing and look what they're doing and look what they're doing. And I never turn around and say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there goes I. We are all very susceptible to all sin. Peter didn't know his own weakness. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you again. Watch how Jesus says it. You don't think so, Peter? Look what he says. I love this. He gives him the details. Jesus is in control of even the, the smallest of details that's happening. Down to when Peter will deny, at what time he will deny. It's like Jesus looked at his watch and said, by 6 a.m. on the dot, you will deny me three times. He's in complete control of all this. He didn't have a watch. He had a chicken. That's how they told time. Can you imagine that? That's your alarm clock's a chicken? Look what he says. Verse 34. And Jesus said unto him, Yeah, you will. <laughs> Peter said, Uh-uh. Jesus said, Yeah. Verse 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily. This is emphatic. I'm telling you the truth, Peter. When he says verily, you guys know this, we've taught it enough, it's a yellow highlighter. It's bold, it's italics, it's underlined. This is make sure you get this. This is the truth. Everything in the Bible is true. This is emphatically true. This is going to happen. Verily, I say unto you, tonight. What's this? He gives when. <laughs> what details? When? Tonight. What time tonight? Before the cock crow. 6 a.m. Before the night's over with. Before morning, before the alarm clock goes off. In the next few hours, I said it's midnight. So he's saying, in, in a window of six hours, you're going to deny me not once. Who, who, who does he say? You, Peter, will. Thou, talking to Peter, will deny me three times. Wow. He's got it down. He, he's got it on an agenda. He knows what's going to happen. And he uses a different word here. The first one was offended in verse 31. Offended is... If Peter's falling, Peter's way up here, and to be ashamed is it's kind of here, you know. 
But he takes it to the next level and he says, by the time the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's about as far as anybody can fall. Let me describe this word to you. This deny me three times. You're going to disown me. This isn't just silence. This is you're going to disassociate. You're going to renounce. You're going to refuse me. It's going to be bad. You're not just going to do it once. You're going to do it not even twice. You're going to do it three times. Peter will mess up big time. Peter will mess up publicly. Peter will mess up for everybody to see. Peter will do the most unspeakable thing that he could ever think of doing. That's what he's saying here. Peter, the one who's been so bold and stood up for me for so long, you will not only turn your back on me, but you will openly deny me and tell people that you don't even know me. Peter's going to mess up big. And in just a few hours, he does. I, I, I don't want to go there. But they will walk up to Peter and ask him, have I not seen you with Jesus? <laughs> And it won't be a big, brutal, muscular, strong Roman soldier that asks him. You know, that would be tough. Soldier walks up with a full uniform on, with a sword, ready to kill him if he, if he says he's associated with Jesus. But as Peter's sitting there warming himself by fire, and Jesus is under, under trial, when Jesus needed Peter the most... It wasn't a soldier that walked up to, G, uh, up to Peter. It was a little bitty girl. When I picture the girl who walked up to, G, to Peter, I picture my little Emma Kate. A little red-headed, eight-year-old girl. All of 50 pounds. Walks up to Peter and says, Have I not seen you with Jesus? Have I not seen you running around with Jesus? Have I not seen you? And she doesn't just do it once, she does it three times. It's like Peter says, get away from me, little girl. Get away from me. And he runs away and she says, have I not seen you? Have I not seen you? And three times he looks at her and says, no, I don't know Jesus. And the third time he actually cusses. He says, I, I, I don't know the man. Leave me alone. Peter falls very far. It's as low as anybody can fall. But he still doesn't get it. Look what he says. He doubles, double, doubles down. Look what he says in verse 35. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. He says, I'll die before I deny you, Jesus. You're, he corrects him again. No way. Here he says, I'm going to die for you. And just moments later, he'll say, I don't even know him. But he says, no. He commits even further. There's no way. There's no way in the world that I will ever, ever deny you. And the rest of the disciples say, yeah, us too. Look what it says. Likewise also said all the disciples, yeah, we won't either. Us too. Us too. Amen. Amen, Peter. We're all in. It shows again, and I'll move on. They had way too much confidence in themselves. Way too much confidence in their own commitment. Way too much confidence in their own faithfulness. That they were so focused on how strong they were. That they didn't recognize that Jesus was telling them how weak they were. 
What they should have said is what every single one of us should say when, when we realize our weakness is, is, Lord, help me. Don't let me do that. It's been said that we are the least safe when we are most sure of ourselves. We fail when we cease to fear failure. And Peter was so sure of himself and his own strength that he said, not me. There's no way that will be me. And I say, yes, you, Peter, and every single one of us do the same thing. And I can apply this. I don't know if you want me to apply this, but I think you say, I would never do that. I would never openly deny Jesus. I, I, I never overestimate, get this, I never overestimate my own strength. I know my weakness. I know what I need. I know I need to turn to Jesus. But how do we live? How often do you not turn to the Bible and you rely on your own wisdom to get through things? You are overestimating how strong you are. How often, and this is where it's really convicted me this week, how often are you in a, a troubling situation and you use your own strength to get out of it instead of turning to God in prayer, knowing that only, I'm so weak that only through His strength can I make it. How often do you say, I don't need the church? Do you know that God gave us the church to be the strength when we're weak? And when you are out as scattered sheep, you are weak. But when you're together with the flock, you are strong. And there's so many people that just say, I don't need prayer. I don't need the Bible. I don't need the Lord's Supper. I don't need to go to church. I don't need encouragement. I don't need conviction. I don't need my toes stepped on. I don't need all these things that, I don't need the teaching of the Word of God. I don't need the fellowship. I don't need, I don't need, I can do this on my own. You're overestimating how strong you are and you're underestimating the power of temptation and sin that's out there. We live our lives like we can do it on our own. We're like a bunch of little kids, and I say that me too. This is convicting me. I, I, I got a little baby right now, and she's at that stage where everything is, I don't need you anymore, mom and dad. I mean, when she was a baby, it was, we gotta feed you, we gotta carry you, we gotta dress you, we gotta, we gotta do everything. And now she looks at you and does, uh-uh. Uh-uh. She can't talk real good, so uh-uh is about all we can get out of her. Let daddy dress you, huh? Here, let me feed you, huh? I mean, that's all we get out of her, huh? No! She started saying no this week. Who taught her no? I've got five kids. One of the first words they learned, no. Shaking the head, no. I can do it myself. That's, that's coming. She can't say it yet. But just wait. One day it'll be, do it self, daddy. Do it self, daddy. Put on my own clothes. Feed myself. I don't need you to hold my hand. You guys saw me this morning walking around and she was slapping at my hand. I don't need you holding it. I don't need you holding it. I can go up and down that ramp all by myself. I'm running in the walls. And that's funny? Yeah. But how often do we live our lives like that? God, I don't need your help. I don't need to pray. I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I'm doing it myself. And you look just as messed up and we look just as messed up as if Hallie put on her clothes by herself. And we wonder why. We overestimate what we can do and how strong we are. And Peter done the same thing. We're all just like Peter. 
Nuh-uh. That's what he said, ain't it? Watch this. Jesus said, you'll deny me. Uh-uh. Jesus said, I've got the, de- I've got the details. Uh-uh. No. I won't. We're all just like him. He's trying to show them and us how weak we are. We need to pray. We need the church. We need the Bible. We need each other. We're not strong enough by ourselves. Be careful. Take heed lest you fall. I got one more point for you. And you say, where's it coming from, Josh? You're out of verses. (laughs) You don't know me very well, do you? Turn with me. I'm going to show you. I've showed you the prediction. I've showed you the protest. I want to show you lastly the prayer. Turn with me to Luke 22. I've not even looked at the clock because the battery's dead on it and I can't even see it. Luke 22. Same story. Same scene. I want to call it a story. But in Luke. Because I was wondering, where am I going to get the third point? <laughs> and I turned to Mark, and I read Mark's version. And I turned to Luke, and I said, here it is. Here's the prayer. The prayer was the difference. I showed you the prediction and the protest, and I want to show you the prayer. Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus said unto Peter, same scene. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. And notice there that He doesn't use... The new name he gave him. He said, and I think it's Matthew 16, that he, he said, you, from now on you're going to be the rock. Your name's going to be Peter. I mean, he, he said, you're, going, you're strong. You see that? And, 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 and what a great name. I mean, he, he's, he's rocky now. But he doesn't use the rocky name. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. That's his, his old name. That's what some commentators would say, a name that's shaky, shaky. <laughs> and instead of being the rock, strong, He uses his weak name. And he says, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has desired to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. Satan's after you, man. And that word desired, Satan has asked of me that he could sift you as wheat. Satan doesn't have power outside of the sovereign authority of Almighty God. He can only do what God allows him to do. As he did Job, uh, Satan walked into the throne room of God and said, Let me at him. Let me get Job. I guarantee you, Job's faith will fail if you let me shake up his life. I'll shake everything he's got and he'll deny you. So now Satan comes to Jesus and says, give me Peter. Asks permission. Satan wants you. Satan's going to sift you like wheat. That sifting like wheat is is, is a shaking. He's going to shake you. They They would take the wheat and they would shake it. And they'd throw it in the air. And all that wasn't wheat, the shaft, would blow away And the wheat, the true, the real would stay. So he says, Peter, Simon, Satan's going to get a hold of you and he's going to shake you and shake you and shake you just to see if you're the real deal, man. Satan's after you. He'd done it to Job and now he's going to do it to Peter. He's going to shake you 
violently, extremely, and see if your faith is real or not. I can say this, and I want to apply it. I think the last two years of all that's going on in our world, that Satan has been shaking and sifting the church. Shaking everything that we have to see who's real and who's not. Throwing it up in the air and the shaft is just blowing away and the weed is staying. He's shaking. So he's shaking. He says, he's going to shake you, Peter. And Jesus knows it. And get this. Jesus gave him permission to do it. Go ahead. He gave him permission with Job. He gave him permission with Peter. This powerful being is after you. The enemy of your soul is going to attack you. He's got a personal interest in you. It will be a severe temptation and trial. And the goal for Peter is not just for him to fall, but for him to fall once and for all. For him to deny the faith and turn from Jesus. I think that's the attack that he has on every single one of us. If he can get the leader of the pack, Peter, to fall, then he can get the other ten to do the same thing. He does that to the fathers and the family. You get that, you fathers? He goes after you because if he can get you, he can get your wife and your kids. He does that with the pastors and the churches too. He can sift him like weed and if he can fall, he'll get the whole congregation to fall. The, the, the attack is on the leader here. He wants him to abandon the faith. Can you imagine if Peter had abandoned the faith here? Who would have preached the sermon in Acts 2? Who would have led the church? So Satan desires to destroy his faith. And I want you to understand this. I'm going to stop here before I move on. This attack is so severe and so intense that Peter has no chance and we don't either. I can't fight this. You can't fight it. We have no power within ourselves to fight what's going on here when Satan attacks. You say, what do we do? There's one difference, and I'm going to read it to you right here. Verse 32. But, I would circle that but right there. The only thing that kept Peter from falling all the way down was verse 32. The only thing that keeps us from falling away completely is verse 32. The only thing that keeps us from losing our salvation is verse 32. We can all fall a long way, but we will not fall all the way because of verse 32. Because Jesus keeps us. Look what it says here. But I have prayed for you. Maybe the most comforting verse in the entire Bible. I've prayed for you that your faith will fail not. Jesus prayed. Jesus interceded. Jesus wouldn't let it happen. Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. If Jesus hadn't prayed, because anything Jesus prays is going to get answered. If Jesus hadn't prayed that his faith wouldn't fail, Peter's faith would fail. I can take you to John 16 if you want to go there. I hope I'm not losing you guys. John 16. It, it gives us the prayer. <laughs> or John 17. John 16.33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have shaking. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. 
And he says in verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep, there's the word, through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them. You see that? I kept them. I watched out for them. I wouldn't let nothing happen to them. I kept on to them. Those that thou gavest me, I kept. None of them is lost, but the one son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Then he says in verse 15, I pray, not that, they, that you should take them out of the world, but that thou, thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's the prayer he prayed. I've prayed for you. I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. Peter was like Humpty Dumpty who had a great fall. But his faith didn't fail. And his faith didn't fail because Jesus prayed. Peter was sifted like wheat. He, he lost everything. He lost everything. But the one thing that mattered is faith. We can lose everything in this life. But the one thing that really matters our faith. We can fall a long way and we will. But we'll never fall all the way because Jesus won't let it happen. My salvation is not based upon my faithfulness to Him. It's based upon His faithfulness to me. It wasn't my faith that I worked up to get me saved. And it's not my faith that I have to work up to keep me saved. The only thing that keeps us all in the faith is Jesus Christ. The devil can attack. He can give us his best shot. Temptations can come. But our faith will never fail because Jesus prays. I'm going to read to you again Romans 8. I told you I'd go back there. I won't read it all to you. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It's Satan that condemns. But it's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God right now, making intercession for us, praying for us. Our faith doesn't fail because Jesus is interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall shaking? <laughs> There's a tribulation. Shall, shall shaking? Distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am certain, persuaded, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've got another verse I want to read you. At this point, I, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> Jude, I mean, I, this is a great verse. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. He's the one who keeps us from falling. And it says in Matthew 22 or, Mark, or Luke 22. And when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. When you're restored, you'll be good for something. I'll take this bad thing that's happening and I'll turn it into something really good. I'll take the weakness that you're showing now and make it into a strength. Peter will deny, 
Peter will weep bitterly. It'll be bad. But Jesus comes back and, and, and I, I, we'll study it at some point, but Peter will be restored. Jesus will wipe his tears away. And Peter will, Jesus will put his arm around him. I think it's John 22 and say, go feed my sheep. And Peter will preach. I like that. It's just, you guys are in. I'm not, I'm not going to stop yet. Turn to Acts with me. Acts chapter 4. This is just a few weeks later. After he denies. This is what happens. I've got here that I'm going to read all of chapter 4 and 5, so I won't do that. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. That's the who's who of who's who. When they had set them in the midst of them, they asked him, by what power and by what name have you done these things? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, then be it known unto every single one of you. I'm not bowing down here. No more coward Peter. No more shaky Simon. Here's the rock Peter standing up before the most powerful men of that day. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom He crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him does this man stand before you whole. This is a stone which was set not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And I'm going to stop here. And neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. <laughs> what happened to Peter? Jesus restored him. Forgave him. You know the difference between Peter and, and Judas? Jesus kept Peter. Peter was really saved. Judas wasn't. Judas fell all the way because he's not saved. Peter was saved and he fell, but he didn't fall all the way. I could read you more. They tell, they tell Peter to be quiet. I'm going to read that in verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing that they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which, for that which was done. They just, they just kept on. Acts 5 did the same thing. They beat them up. They walked out and said, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. And then Peter will die on an upside down cross for his faith. This failure here is what made Peter faithful to the end. So I ask you this question and I'll close. Do you know how weak you are? Do you know that every single one of us can go just as low as Peter did? Do you know when you get up in the morning that you're lo- it's likely that you're going to sin and you're going to fall and you're going to be ashamed? It could happen to you. We're all going to fail Christ. You need to know yourself. We're all capable of it. And you need to get that. If I ask you to raise your hand today and say, do you know how weak you are? Do you know that you're capable of doing exactly what He did? Every one of you should raise your hand and say, I am just like Peter and maybe even worse. I might even fail him before I get out of this church today. 
We all need to know just how low we can all fall. And it ought to, every single one of us drive us to seek Jesus for our strength on a daily basis. There's a reason that Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why do we say that? Why do we pray that? We just we don't even think about it. But every single day, I'm going to be tempted and the evil one's going to be after me. I'm going to be tempted and, and the evil one's going to be after me. And I'll fail and I'll fall and I'll mess up. God help me. I can't do it on my own. I need all the strength you can give me. You need to know yourself and you need to know how strong your Savior is. If you do that, I think you can be... Peter not in Matthew 26, but Peter in Acts chapter 4. So know yourself, know your Savior. Know that He doesn't need me to be the best man in the world. Know that He knows I'm a bad man, but that He loves me all the same. He'll keep me. Yes, I'm going to do my very best every day. And I'll fail and I'll fall He'll always be there to keep me from falling all the way. That old song, and I'll, I'll close with this. It's not an old song. We, we sing it here. Christ will hold me fast. It says, He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. That's who our Savior is. That He doesn't just save us, He keeps us. I think it's John 10 who says that, that Kept by the Spirit of God. He's in the, we're in the Father's hands and none can pluck us out of His hand. Amen. That's where we are. That's where we stand. We need to understand that. We need to trust in that. And we need to rejoice in that. That's, that's a reason to worship today. Yes. And I'll say this. If there's anyone in here who you're not sure whether your faith is real or not, there's going to come a time of shaking. I think we're, I said it, we're already being shaken today in this world. He's sifting us. And the shaft will just blow away and the wheat will stay. So you have to ask yourself, am I the real deal? Is my faith truly in Jesus Christ? Am I trusting completely in Him, totally in what He's done for me? Or am I trusting in myself? And if there's any doubt whatsoever where you stand, I urge you, encourage you, please, put your faith in Christ today. And He'll save you today and He'll keep you tomorrow all the way into eternity. There's no Savior but Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time we've had today in Your Word. I hope it was as much of an encouragement to our church as it has been for me in studying this passage. I, I told several people this week, I love this passage. I love this truth. Uh, I find myself weak, struggling, faltering a lot. And I'm thankful, God, that it's not, my salvation is not um, in my hands. It's not up to me to keep. I think it was John MacArthur who said, if I, if I could lose my salvation, I would. But I can't because Jesus keeps me. And God, I pray that it was an encouragement to our people here today. And that we'll see how weak we really are and how strong our Savior is. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here who's an unbeliever, that you would, God, show them 
how great a salvation it is that Jesus offers. And they'll put their faith in him today, once and for all. And God, I do pray that you'd bless this baptism we're about to have. Bless those kids. Uh, So it's such a blessing to our church to see. And I pray, God, that it would be an encouragement to all as they stand in there and make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that they are not ashamed. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.